This is Jim Rostelna, and you're listening to The Curious Wire. Jim, I'm excited to talk to you today. You have a very unique and interesting approach to your management company. So first, let's if you want to just tell everybody what you do and what your company is, and, uh, and then we can get into how you have your unique approach. Yeah, um, I'm the chief operating officer of uh, Anchor Northwest Property Group. We're in Portland, Oregon. We have about 32 properties. We're all owner-operated, and that uh, composes about 2,100 units. So you're the average size is on the smaller side. Yeah, 50 to 150. Our largest is 150 units. Our smallest is probably in 30 units. And one of the, the unique things that you do as having so many properties, and I think that some of your properties are in the same geographic area, you've created your own ILS, for a lack of a better term. Yeah, our website, we, we kind of went away from branding individual properties, and we just brand the website with all of our properties on it. And so once you're there, once we drive traffic to that website, you see what we have across our entire portfolio. And so you're, I imagine your marketing budgets are per unit are much lower because you're putting everybody into a real funnel and then you're, you're sending them out to the different properties. Yeah. Our marketing is, is less than half a percent of growth revenue. So, you know, our per unit cost is, is negligible. It's, it's, you know, I think on average we'll see our competitors at about two to 3% of gross revenue. So yeah, we, we feel pretty good about what we've got going on as far as a marketing platform. Now, the really unique part about what you do is your philosophy and how you execute leasing. You view it as as sales. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll let you explain it. But how, how did you come up with that? And, and what is it that you guys do? So I think it all starts with our philosophy of there's three things that we do as a property management company. You know, one is what and I should say three things we do for stabilized properties. One is renewals, two is leasing, and three is asset preservation, right? And everything we do falls into those three categories in, in some form or another or multiple of those categories. At, at the hierarchy, renewals for us is the most important, right? Um, renewals is where we're going to generate the most revenue, has the most impact on the different department, departments throughout the, the process. And then leasing is number two, and obviously asset preservation supports both the, the leasing and renewal process for us. So if those are our two most important things, right, we, we focus on revenue generation as a sales process. And then we make that everything we do kind of funnel into that process so that we can be as successful as possible. Okay. So you said renewals are number one. So what does your renewal department or your renewal process look like? What are the activities or jobs that fall into that bucket? So I have one person that does all my renewals. And so for 2000 units, and so she's contacting essentially 2000 tenants a year. Um, her job is to understand what if, you know, what they are, if they're planning to renew, obviously if they are, it's fantastic. If they're not, why not? And that's where we'll get into the sales process, right? Is this something that is going to, we're going to be able to overcome and get them to renew? Uh, or is this something where, it's, you know, they're moving out of state, they're, they're, they're changing jobs or what have you, they're not going to renew regardless of what we do, right? So our, our, our goal is to kind of understand, you know, well, let me back up a little bit. We put them into three categories. 
categories. One is some people are going to renew regardless of what we do, right? Out of every 10 people, one or two are going to renew. It doesn't matter. There's going to be a couple that will not renew no matter what, right? Because they're moving, they bought a house, whatever the situation may be. Um, and then there's those people in the middle, that five or six in the middle that are either could potentially renew for, with us or may move to a competitor within the, within the same geographic marketplace. Those are the people we really want to focus on. And so we want to understand what it is that they are looking for and then try and provide that for them. So is this person who's in charge of renewals, are they doing surveys? Are they doing phone calls, emails? How often are, and at what point are they communicating with the resident? Well, we start at about 120 days out um, from lease end day, right? And that's the initial renewal offer. We give them a, a, a few days to digest that renewal offer. Then we follow up with typically an email initially and, you know, hopefully get as many as we can that are, hey, yep, planning on renewing, great. Get it signed up, get the paperwork going. If we're not hearing back from them, we follow up with phone calls. If we hear back with a negative, no, not going to, we try and find out what the reason is. Is this something that we can overcome from an objection standpoint? Um, or we can address um, and then and then kind of work the process from about 110 days out all the way down to move out if they move out or renewal if they, they're going to sign. Do you do anything in terms of reviewing their payment history when it comes to renewing them? Yeah, to some extent. Obviously, we're in a, uh, we're in a state where we have, uh, they've banned no cause evictions. So we have to renew to people. At the end of the day, unless they've had, there's some, there's some exceptions there that are very hard to meet. So at the end of the day, if they're still in good standing, by the time we get up to the renewal process, we're just trying to renewal at that point. So we have, uh, it's not one person, but we're, we're generally uh, generating the renewal proposals at corporate, but we review it with the managers in case there is, we come up with a payment score based on, you know, how many times they paid late. Um, but we also, you know, look at if there's any other, factors that should be considered um so that the the manager gets to chime in that is the manager involved in that at all or the this one renewal person takes care of everything just the the renewal person remember we have no on-site management okay there's nobody on site there that they can talk to right we have everything's handled centrally for us um so it's just the renewal person that's handling it and all the notes and everything's in the in the, the tenant ledger within our our property management software Okay, so now let's get into the second bucket of leasing. How do you structure your leasing team and activities? So, again, it's fully centralized. We have five leasing agents that are broken out uh, over the... We have four territories. So we have uh, four of the five leasing agents have their own territory, but they're expected to lease across territories. They're expected to do what's in the best interest of the of the tenant or the prospect. And then we have one leasing agent that we call Floater, and she goes to all territories. She takes leads. If that per territory person is not available, she's the first uh, person that we, we schedule with afterwards. Um, so those five people handle 2,100 units. They're doing about 450 to 500 tours a year um, and generating 1,200 leases out of that. So, um, Are they answering the phone? No. Okay, so who all answers the phone? into a centralized location. So if okay. you look up our phone numbers on our website, it's all the same phone number. But if you call, regardless of what property you call on, you call the same phone numbers coming to the same, the same people. We have three people that handle all inbound leads. Right? And their entire job is to start the sales process, under, get, get an understanding of kind of the situation of the prospect, and then figure out what apartments are going to be in their best interest or what, what fits their needs. 
and then set up schedule appointments for them. Okay, so the five leasing agents that you mentioned, they come into the picture when a tour has been scheduled? Yes. yes. Okay, so is there a, usually a phone call before they have the actual, <laughs> the actual tour or they're just meeting them there for the tour? Ideally, we'd like them to call the night before if we have the tour set up. But sometimes the, the call comes in at 9 a.m. on a Saturday and we're setting up for 1 o'clock that Saturday so they don't have time. Right. Okay. So sometimes we're just meeting at the door. A lot of times we want them to call ahead of time and kind of uh, uh, build that sales process, you know, continuing the sales process with them and, and get the information they need and then meet them at the door at that point. Because the sales cycle is so short with these, the, the more opportunity we have to gather information, the better off we are. And are you doing any self-guided tours? No. And what's the reason for that? We close our guided tours at about 55%. Last year was 55%. The year before was 65%. Um, self-guided tours closed about 24%, 25%, somewhere in there. So it's a numbers game. And and at the end of the day, the, the, the better our closing percentage is, the fewer tours we have to ge- generate, the fewer phone calls we have to have, the fewer traffic we have. I mean, it just benefits us across the board. Um, philosophically, I think if you had... Um, affordable housing where you have a waiting list and, you, and you're really not trying to build value, uh, you then self-guided tours would, would fill a really nice niche there. But for us, we're, we're about building value and getting the highest rents we can get. And we don't feel like we can do that with self-guided tours. So even for those that would make the argument, I don't disagree with you at all, by the way, for those that would make the argument that, well, this is what prospects want, what would your response to that be? Prospects would want two months free. Prospects want a lot of things that aren't in our business's best interest. And, and our goal is not necessarily to give prospects what they want, so to speak. Our goal is to influence prospect behavior. What do we want? We want the prospects to rent our apartment, not our neighbor's apartment, right? So in order to do that, we've got to put together, differentiate our product and put together the best value proposition we can. And I don't think you can do that with a, with a self-guided tour. So you have your call team that's answering the phone, scheduling an appointment, and you have your leasing agents that are meeting them on site. They conduct the tour, and they're trying to get them to application. Do they handle the application, or then gets handed off to the next part? Then it's handed off, yeah. So application comes in, and and they're done with it at that point. You know, they, they still babysit. They still have a relationship with the prospect. So if there's a problem, if we can't get documents, we'll have the leasing agent reach out to them. But we try and take all the paperwork off of the leasing agent's hands that we, throughout the process, right? Um, I've been 30 years in sales. And the one thing I can, I can tell you about salespeople in general, especially good salespeople, is they're not great paperwork people, right? And so I didn't want my people to, you know, if you're leasing a bunch of stuff, get slowed down by having to deal with chasing down applications, processing applications, that type of stuff. So we have one person who handles all of our applications, and we have a backup person for that person when they're on vacation but yeah we everything's handled here at our corporate headquarters with applications not only does that sound more efficient but in terms of quality control because if there's a a lease issue you have one point to go to fix it versus i mean we have more than 20 agents because of how large our properties are in in our portfolio um so it becomes much it's very inefficient to have you know quote unquote 20 liabilities of doing the lease versus just one person so um i'm I like that a lot. What else in terms of creating efficiency for your sales process is in that leasing bucket or is that it? Uh, in terms of creating efficiencies, I think the biggest thing, you know, and most of you, we have not had turnover in our leasing staff 
since 2019 was the last time I lost somebody and I let them go. Um, I've added one person since then, so in the last five years. Um, and I think what what that does for us, the, the ability, and we, and we pay our, our leasing. It's not an entry-level position for us, right? We're, we're paying them well. Um, what that does for us is it gets a, a, a leasing team that not only knows all of our properties, because you have to know the properties in order to do our, to, to execute our system, right? You've got to know what is not only available in your territory, but the other territories. You've got to know the good units versus the bad units. You've really got to understand that. You also get leasing agents that over time, when we talk about the sales process, you, you talk about finding objections, right? And I always tell my, my salespeople that your job is to find the objection, right? If there's no objection, they're going to lease anyway, right? But if you don't know the objection, you have no no chance of overcoming it. So your job is to find the objection. What you'll find over time is you're going to get the similar objections throughout, you know, uh, throughout your career. And, and you're going to get better at overcoming those objections the more you hear them, the more you 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 you, you have that opportunity. So I think that creates efficiency. And, and like I said, the biggest testament for us is our closing percentage. You know, we're almost double what our competitors are in this market. And and that it provides so many efficiencies from marketing, from turnover, from everything. So Yeah, I and, and when I was a director of leasing and I would do leasing training, I have two rules show up and don't stink. <laughs> and it stinks. Most people, the way they handle objections is to try to divert it to somewhere else. And I would teach them to bring the objection up. You got, you got to understand what it is, right? Um, and we have, we have a very defined sales process. I mean, I got to tell you, it's, the structure is one thing, but at the end of the day, if we didn't have the sales process and the sales training we put in, we probably wouldn't get the results we get. And everybody has to be on the same page, right? Our sales process starts from first touch. From, from the minute they call in or send a, a guest card in, we're trying to understand what that what's driving that tenant to that specific property, right? Most of the time, on on the surface, it's location and price, right? I, I want to live in this area, and that's what I can afford, right? But there's a hundred other properties in that area at that price, so why pick ours, right? So now we've got to go to differentiating, understanding what their needs are, when they're moving, what their what their time frames are, what they like about the last apartment, what they didn't like about their, you know, it's all a series of questions and data collection so that we can then build value. And, and and put the best value proposition forward that we can we can uh, put together. So we covered renewals, we've covered leasing, and the third bucket you said is asset preservation. So what's in that bucket? So asset preservation is everything we do to the buildings to preserve them, obviously one, but to create a great tenant experience, right? So cleaning the buildings, right? You, you we don't have to clean the buildings. In fact. At one point, we tried to cut back the number of days we cleaned the buildings because we, and we'd save a couple hundred thousand dollars a year doing it. And what we found was it just got too messy in the buildings and that impacts our, 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 our renewals. But everything we do, uh, from lobby cleans to work orders to, you know, um, taking care of the buildings, making sure the, the grounds look good. That's all stuff that we do in order to get people to want to stay living there. And, and that goes towards renewals, right? We don't have to do a lot of the stuff we do as often as we do it, but we're going to pay the price on the back end in renewals. And I think that's important for people to understand that if you're renewing, the, 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 like I said, the number one driver of revenue is going to be renewals, right? That that impacts you and your loss of vacancy. That impacts you and your turnover costs. That impacts you just on your overall labor needed to manage your buildings, the whole nine yards. So if you can do everything possible to increase your renewal percentages, it's going to pay off in the long run. So um, 
you don't have anybody on site, work orders, everything's put in through, I guess you have a portal. And then do you have, so how does your maintenance work? Is that centralized? You have the number of maintenance folks based on a territory? Yeah. Yeah. They're all in vans for the most part. And they're going from property to property. Um, and they're, and they're controlled from a central kind of dispatch, if you will. Um, somebody who handles all the work orders that come in. We, we have two people. We have one that handles work orders and one that handles turnovers, right? And they work together to schedule the labor, allocate labor where it's needed in order for us to accomplish the goals we want to accomplish. And then in terms of setting rents, asset management, you know, scheduling contractors for, for work or for inspections or things like that, how does that work? That's all centrally handled as well. Everything we do is is we have a central maintenance department here, and they handle everything. So you know, if you're in the field with in, in our company, you have no control over your calendar. Every your calendar is going to be controlled by a central location, and they're going to be the, the eyes in the sky, so to speak. They're going to know exactly what's going on, where it's going on, and they're going to directly accordingly. And and then in terms of setting rents. Reds, we do ourselves. That's all a manual process. We don't use uh, um, an LRO or, or any type of a revenue management system. Um, we have we have the fortune of having all of our properties within a pretty tight geographic location. We've built all of our properties. We own all of our properties. So we have a pretty good idea of what's going on, what's running, what's not running across the board. And so we set those uh, essentially uh, pretty much daily review pricing, right? But it's not, it's not a ton of pricing to review. Um, cause we, you know, if you're at 97% with 2000 units, you've got 60 units that are vacant at any given time. Of those, we probably have 30 to 40% of those already have leases that we're just in the process of getting them moved in. So you're looking at maybe 30 units you're reviewing, 30 to 40 units you're reviewing, reviewing at any given time, plus your notice to vacates. But our notice to vacates, we typically price those above market because we want to push people into stuff that's already available, right? We do, we pre-lease probably 20% of any of our, of our notes to vacates at any given time. So at a given time, if you have two units that are the same, the one that's vacant is going to be slightly lower than the one that's on notice. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, you know, we work with it. Like we understand the importance of pre-leasing and this, again, this is one of the importances of having agents that know the buildings and know the units and know the stacks is that they can take somebody who may be, you know, 30 days out, all right? That unit I have today is not going to be there in 30 days, but I've got one that's coming available, and they're able to sell them on that specific unit. Now, sometimes we will make price adjustments in those situations, depending on the unit and depending on the quality of the unit. Like, we all have good units and bad units. If you have a unit that's difficult to lease and we, we think we can get leased, we may, we may be able to make a, a, a concession or something to get that within someone's budget so that we have virtually as little downtime as possible. Do you track the number of days an average unit stays vacant? Yes, we have, we have, uh, um, our, yeah, we track all that stuff. So, um, what are you doing in terms of fraud prevention and for collections? Well, it's interesting. I had this conversation on fraud prevention this morning, um, and I've had a few companies hit me up with their fraud prevention uh, issues. And my my response to them was, can I run my last 10 evictions through your software? Let me see what you would have come up with on my, on my evictions. Because at the end of the day, um, we've got one right now that we have to approve. Good. It, 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 it's, it's a good credit. 
It's the guy's moving here from Seattle. Um, his income is a question. He's going to be a kitchen manager for a food cart at $65,000. And he's got an offer letter. And so we're like, who makes 65 grand a year as a, as a food cart kitchen manager? Is there even such a job? But it's a legitimate business. It's his buddy that's, that runs it and he's bringing them down. And at the end of the day, if he ends up moving in and paying his rent, do I really care that that wasn't a legitimate letter? And, and again, I, my point is not that I don't care about fraud. My, care, my, my, my point is how much does it actually impact my business, right? Is, is the cost of cure more expensive than the cost of the problem? And go from there. Now, I will say this. Because we have one person who processes probably 1,500 applications a year, she is really, really good at identifying things, you know, faulty pay statements. You know, this is not an ADP deal. She's really good at weeding that stuff out anyway, uh, just by the sheer volume that she sees coming through. So I think on that on that end, we have an advantage. But in general, um, I'm not necessarily against the fraud, fraud prevention stuff that's out there. I just don't know how it impacts me at this point. So it's the jury's still out for me. So for us, it was, I mean, we're at about 10 properties and the average size is in the 400 unit range. So we have leasing teams at each property and the manual process of them reviewing this. So we discovered we had fraud during COVID when we were doing these cash for keys. So we had residents who weren't paying any rent. We couldn't evict them. So we would offer them a deal cash for their keys. And so the initial way we were doing this is we were looking at people with total balances, but I had this epiphany that it's not how much they owe us, it's how valuable their rent is. And so as I was putting together this whole proposal that we should not be offering everybody the same and we should be strategic, more strategic about who we're offering and what we're offering, I started to notice this trend of residents who had moved in pretty recently who had a balance. And I started to do all this digging and discovering, and again, people with that fake offer letter, generally fraud has no intention in paying the rent. And so that's what they're, they're trying to do. I, I, I'm not concerned like you. I'm not concerned with the person who's going to fudge something to get approved in order to pay their rent. Yeah. Um, I, I just, that's not the commonality, but we discovered at that time we had about 10 people and the average balance was $5,000. So to do something which can prevent that, at least deter that. And and we saw a huge swing in our bad debt and for the positive by eliminating that. And and I think when you don't understand fraud, it's hard. I mean, in some places it's so bad where they would actually have somebody who would become a leasing agent and they became like the person to let all the fraud in. Um, in some places it got really bad. So you have a very tight team. Your team has been with you for a while. And when you do have a central point of who's reviewing all the applications. Yeah, I got pretty good at identifying things as well. Um, it's been a little while, but every once in a while I get a question and it's, it's pretty easy to spot some of the stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, it, and it's different from market to market, right? Um, yeah, I've got a buddy that's with a national company and, and he'll tell me things are going on in Los Angeles. So I'm like, wow, I, we haven't seen that yet. Fortunately, knock on wood. But yeah, it's different. And, and, and again, I think the, the key is you've got to be able to be flexible and, 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 and monitor it. So if it does change, you can react accordingly. But I think sometimes we get into this things, oh my God, we got, we got to solve this problem. And it's really, it can be a vendor created problem a lot of times, right? 
And, and I think sometimes vendors come up with this great solution to a problem that mm, maybe not be as big a deal as it really is, right? But for the vendor, the bigger the problem is, the more sales for them, right? right. So you got you to make sure, is this really a problem we're dealing with? Or is this something that is, you know, we're all right with? There's going to be risk no matter what you do. So as we wrap up here, I'm curious, what what are you excited about or what do you foresee in the next year or so in our industry? Any changes or what you see and, and I guess even what are you guys focused on? And then the second thing is, is I, you know, I like the way you think and, and where do you consume your information? How do you, what do you do for inspiration, your thought process? You so, know, well, the first thing with, in, the, in the next year, I'm really excited about some of the software programs and some of the, the capabilities that are coming out. They're going to help us in our, model business model I, you know we were kind of on an island for a long time and then COVID hit and everybody's like wow we can centralize we don't need people on site we can we can create some some great efficiencies above and beyond and and really our struggle for so long has been there's really not a great software solution for a lot of different uh tasks that we we try and accomplish and, and like i said happy is doing a phenomenal job with with their centralized maintenance software um we're, we've been a part of that and we're really excited about that. So all the new stuff that's coming, the tools are coming out. I'm really excited about the direction that's going. I'm also excited the market's coming back as well. I think that that um, that's going to be good for everybody in the industry. And and, and 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 so I'm excited about that. In terms of my inspiration, you know, guys, guys like you, Moshe, guys that are online that are that are that are out there asking questions. Um, you know, I'm a part of the Innovation Council, Multifamily Innovation Council. I get a lot of great ideas from those guys. Um, there's, there's one gentleman on there named Patrick Morin, and he is just a gem to listen to. He's a brilliant, absolutely brilliant guy. Um, and anyway, there, there's, there's a handful of people out there that, that I, that I turn to when I do you read books, you listen to podcasts or audiobooks. Um, I'm getting more into the podcasts, you know, finding podcasts that are specific to me and that, that I don't get, you know, I, I find myself doing other things that, you know, I have them in the background. Um, you know, uh, I'm a I'm a sales guy from way back, and so I find myself reading a lot of sales stuff. Not necessarily books, but white papers and 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 that type of thing. There's some there's some interesting uh, theories out there right now that, that don't necessarily apply to us, but we can always garner things from them. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, you know, in general, you know, there, there's just just looking, digging any information I can find out there to to help me you know, uh, create new ideas. Excellent. Well, Jim, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and, uh, thanks for coming. Thanks, Moshe. I appreciate it.